In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born, and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, and if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. These are not the droids you were looking for, but this is the podcast. Hi, listening friends. It's time for another episode. It's me. It's him. It's us. It's Jack and Kenyatta. We're here to save the world. Boom. We are. We are here to save it. In our everlasting, ongoing, endless quest to do so. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. It is definitely a difficult task. I guess we're sadomasochistic. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Ish. Yeah, in hindsight, maybe we should have just set out to save our community to start with. Yeah, I just posted a bunch of memes. So, <laughs> but this will do. This, this, this yeah, is fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Listening friends, thanks for joining us again. Uh, we hope you guys have had a good week or however long it's been since you listened to our last episode. But with no further ado, we're going to get into it. Our yes. usual. WTF, Jack, you're on first this week. I uh, I heard this little thing and I first thought there's no way that someone's actually that this was actually written. And I was gonna go to the source. Well, I thought at first there's no way, and I was like, well, now they said it's the Wall Street Journal, so it probably is true. And it was true, and I went to read the article on the Wall Street Journal, but they have a paywall and F them and F their paywall. So I found a summary of their article and basically the summary of the article is that maybe the middle class and low income people to save money in the Biden economy should just start skipping breakfast, uh, mm. you know, cause the price of eggs and orange juice has gone up so much. So, and of course, then the, GOP and the Republicans started tweeting and sharing the article. And so, you know, like Republican Senator John Kennedy, skipping meals to make ends meet? This is how badly Biden's economy is beating down average Americans. First of all, it was a headline. Then the House Judiciary Committee, how the left thinks you can combat rising prices in Joe Biden's America. Just skip breakfast. Just get two jobs. Just don't retire yet. That's the one that I take umbrage with is are they aware that they're the party that wants to change the retirement age to 70, right? Just, just don't retire yet. Is he aware that that's like a goal of their party? There are literal bills in committee to do that. Is, is he aware of that? I'm sure he is, but it's not relevant at that the moment that he made that statement. You, you do know that. Well, yes. And mm-hmm. also he knows that no Republican is actually going to bother to know any of that either because they believe everything Sean Hannity tells them. Mm-hmm. So is there is that. But fortunately, 
uh, there were some people that that fired back at him. Representative Mark Pocan, I'm not sure, or Pocan. I don't know how you say that. It's the whole pecan con thing. <laughs> but um, he responded with, I would recommend companies just stop price gouging instead. But maybe that's just me. <laughs> I mean, that would be the first <laughs> thing I'd think of. You know, right. they don't they don't have to charge us average consumers an arm and leg in our next born in all of our pets. They don't have to. They just choose. Right. To. Yeah. Because, you know, they like to throw out that inflation is, you know, at 40 year highs. But they also seem to forget that profits are at 60 year highs. Mm-hmm. And all of these companies um, since the Trump tax cut went into effect in 2017, there have been more companies that have done stock buybacks than at any other time in U.S. history. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder if that has anything to do with inflation and rising prices, you think? And then paying less taxes? Yeah, I wonder if those are related. Gosh, I I wouldn't think so. Gee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, um, the Libertarian Party, they even threw in and they said, to save breakfast, maybe the Fed should skip paper or should skip paper money printing schemes <laughs> oh but, but uh righty <laughs> my thought was of course you know the wall street journal caters to you know millionaires and republicans mm. and my thought was well you know if you guys get your uh, get your way and you cancel are able to get rid of social security and medicare not only will we have to skip breakfast to make ends meet we're also going to have to skip lunch and brunch and afternoon snacks Second breakfast. Second breakfast, late night <laughs> snacks, onesies. <laughs> Lunch, <know>. luncheon. <laughs> yeah. I'll, every, you're going to get one meal a day. That's that's all you're going to be able to afford. And, and you you'll, be, you'll be lucky if you don't have to share that meal with your pet. Yeah, because <laughs> you know what? If they get their way with getting rid of Social Security and Medicaid and Medicare, it, now might be a good time to buy stock in ramen companies. Yeah. And, and and let's not front here. Uh, you can do marvelous things at ramen. Point being, though, it shouldn't have to come to that. Yeah. Like even even during the so-called flush years when inflation was low and, you know, taxes on the average citizens were moderate. You still had older folk, retirees that couldn't afford, you know, three meals a day. Yeah, or whatever, what have you? And now we 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 fast forward to this point in time, and you just want to make it worse. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah. Okay, yeah, America. yeah. But you know, the Wall Street Journal is the paper for Republican elites with money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and don't, they don't give a shit about the rest of us. They don't. And they don't. I just don't see why people keep voting them in against their own best interests <laughs> well i know but it's still frustrating it is it is i'm thinking i'm thinking of one particular republican that just managed to <clears throat> squeak himself out of trouble this week but that's not even my wtf so <laughs> yeah yeah but before we go i would like to add one thing the republicans they sure are in a tizzy that twitter took down Hunter Biden's dick pics. Yes. And, 
And I thought that is just so strange. First of all, someone else posted them, not Hunter Biden, which then makes it revenge porn, which Twitter has a policy against. Mm, so that yeah. was why it got taken down. But when mm. they're acting like, well, Biden, they asked for it to come down. That's against the, the First Amendment. Um, he was not in office. He was a private citizen when that happened. Whereas the president actually apparently once a week or so would request an angry tweet about him would be taken down. That would be a violation because that's the government interfering. But I've been thinking, you know, Jim Jordan, his fascination with uh, Hunter Biden's dick pics, maybe that's why when he was a wrestling coach at Ohio State and his wrestlers came to him and said that the team doctor, I believe it was, was sexually assaulting them when they were being examined and he did absolutely nothing about it. Remember in Scooby-Doo how the bad guys would have like paintings and they'd slide it over and then their eyes would be where the eyes was and they could watch mm -hmm. what was going on. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that was Jim Jordan. I don't, I don't, ugh, I don't want to think about it. That's just. It's, it's just strange to me. You don't care if your athletes are being molested, but you sure do care that we're not getting to see dick pics. Just odd. I mean, it's not odd because <laughs> they're kind of correlated. <laughs> I hate to say it. Well, no, I don't hate to say it. It's correlation. They want to. They want to see as much peen as possible. Apparently, and so, I'm sorry to have taken us down Dick Road here. Lord have mercy. But I just—that's <laughs> also another thing that I've just over the last couple of weeks just been sort of constantly WTFing about. You sure are mad about penises. That's like, you know, back in the day when you had the that certain. The smattering of Republicans that got all up in arms about the porn, and they were like, "And I watched this film twenty-seven times, and I was disgusted." <laughs> I mm. went through eight bottles of Jerkins lotion as I was doing research for this. I watched over twenty-seven thousand hours of pornography just so I could know what it was. Disgusting! It's and a moral perversion. Have. I've never been more so upset in my life. In my life. <laughs> Purvos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to you <laughs> on that note. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can top it, but I'll try. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, so I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for our, our listening friends that are here in the States, even if you do live under a rock, which I'm assuming you don't because you listen to us, but even if you live under a rock or have no interest in sports, you would have to have heard that this past Sunday was Super Bowl 57. What's this Super Bowl you speak of? Um, it has to do with men in tight pants trying to keep a, 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 a brown ball away from each other. So Jim Jordan would probably enjoy watching it for that tight pants part. Sorry, couldn't help it. That was wrong. I apologize, but the look on Kenyatta's face right now is absolutely priceless. It anyway. Is, <laughs> it is phenomenal, and I apologize for going there. No, you don't, because you wanted to see this happen. That's why. <laughs> um. So Super Bowl was this past Sunday a few days ago, and um, it was actually a pretty good game. 
between Kansas City Chiefs. I won't tell you how problematic that name still is. And the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, the Chiefs came out on top, 38 to 35. It's a good game, though. Um, good game. Um, you know, so-so commercials. Saw some good movie trailers. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But here's what happened. So, of course, you know, big deal sporting events like this have commentators. All sporting events have commentators, but this one especially. One of those commentators was veteran sportscaster, veteran ESPN sportscaster, Chris Berman, who said, quote, two African-American quarterbacks starting against each other in the Super Bowl for the first time. And I should insert here, that is a big deal. Big deal. If you know the history behind the NFL and how difficult it has been historically to get black men in the quarterback position, you would understand that this is significant. Berman goes on to say, quote, fittingly, February 12th is Abe Lincoln's birthday. Here we go with the highlights in case you missed it. Here's the thing. And this actually reminds me of of a conversation I just had earlier today with a coworker about the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. Um, he may have meant to say something profound with that. I don't know how you how you managed to equate football to Abraham Lincoln, or if you were just thinking back to the history of Black History Month, which started out as Negro History Week, and it correlated with the birth dates of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Right. Over, and this was back in 1950, 1976, I believe it was. It was declared a Full month of history observation. So I don't know if possibly he had that on his mind. Don't know. All I know is perhaps in 1915, getting the truth about things was a little bit harder to do than it is now, you know, 100 plus years later. Right. And in 1915, we were only about 50 years out from the 13th Amendment. Right. And the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, so, yeah, I have no doubt that plenty of people looked upon Abraham Lincoln with some kind of hero worship. Years since, though, and of course, in the last 30 some years that we've had, the public has had access to the World Wide Web. We know better about Abraham Lincoln and his motives and what he really thought about slavery. Hmm. We've talked about it here on this very podcast. Mm-hmm. So for Mr. Berman to utter that statement and was he implying that Abraham, Abraham Lincoln made it possible for black men to be quarterbacks in the, in, in the NFL? I don't think he was being nefarious about it, but it sure was fucking tone deaf. Ooh, I, about that. I have, I have a question for you. Mm. So, Doug Williams was the first uh, black quarterback to win the Super Bowl back in the late 80s with the Washington Redskins. Mm. And they had him, I believe he was the, uh, the the person to toss the coin, maybe at the beginning. I don't remember. It was some sort of capacity that he was affiliate, you know, with, with the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And a part of me... See, this tells you how jaded we can be and become. A part of me thought 
is the NFL pandering and having Doug Williams come on just because it's two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl? Because I don't think it was like the, you know, like a 30th, you know, anniversary of when he did that, you know, like a sort of significant date or something like that. And I just was like, are they pandering because of that? And if so, was it okay to highlight, you know, what what was a pretty cool milestone? Really, who can say for any certainty? It may, on the surface, it may it may look like pandering, but I'll 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 answer that or compare it with this little nugget. And let me make sure I get my date straight. Um, back in let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Y'all know about the that little award ceremony called the Oscars, you know, for excellence in film, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, one of the winners back in the day was our man, Denzel Washington. Right. And he won for his ridiculously charismatic performance in a little movie called Training Day. Right, right. So the night that he won was also the same night that they presented Mr. Sidney Poitier with the Lifetime Achievement Award. Right. So they announced Denzel's name. Denzel and all his melanated chocolatey goodness gets on the stage and gets his award. He's smiling with all them teeth. And while he's smiling and laughing, he says, hey, two birds and one stone, huh? Oh. So you say that. Could it be that they brought out Doug Williams because this is a historic game? I say, who's to say for sure, but they managed to award Denzel Best Actor on the same night Sidney Poitier gets a Lifetime Achievement Award. Hmm. Right. Maybe I'm stretching too far. Maybe not. <laughs> See, that, that's not, <laughs> as that thought popped in my head, I thought, Okay, am I jaded? Not Just necessarily. because of the world? And, you know, there's there's this part of me that feels like, I don't know, over the, the last six years, you know, my... Not that I was blind to, you know, like racial injustice before, but my knowledge of how deep it runs is a thousandfold. And so a part of me is like, has the last six years completely jaded me that something can't just be a coincidence anymore? Or, you know, was this planned weeks ago, (laughs) you know, before they even knew? And I'm like, could something just be cool? And then it made me feel like all bad because, you know, I'm just like, God damn it. I will say this then. (laughs) At the beginning of the game, they had three former players all black that did the the i guess the presentation of the show off of the championship trophy right hmm you could go with the odds and say you saw a lot of black former players because Santa Bell's been majority black for a long time you could say that which is true but <laughs> then there's this whole other thing and some and Mm. And I don't necessarily know if it's 
sometimes maybe people are overcompensating and it comes off as pandering and they don't mean it to be pandering. Right. It, that's why I'm saying, am I now jaded because I've learned so much about how shitty systems are that are put in place? The road to hell. So anyway, I, <sighs> I guess we'll have to uh, shoot Roger Goodell an email and ask him. Yeah, I think he'll get back to us and, and clear this right on up. Listening right. friends, we'll be sure to, to share the response with you on a as later soon as, as soon as we get it, we will we will post an update on the social medias. Correct. Oh, boy. <sighs> and anyway. while we continue to live in that fantasy land. <laughs> we're going to wrap up the WTF segment of this episode um, and get the train back on the rails or on to the next stop, I guess you could say. Um, listening, friends, if you've been following along with us, which I'm assuming you are because you are the bestest in the world, and you'll know that we are in the middle of our Black History Month episode series. That today, we marks, are. today marks the third episode in which I will be discussing a major figure in medical history. And he was not a doctor. Hmm. Hmm. Who is that, that, you say? That, this, I feel like, go ahead. I I have a thought, but I don't want to vocalize it. Mm, By the time we get through discussing him, you may be right. So. (laughs) Yeah. So, the gentleman that we'll be talking about today is Vivian Thomas. And you spell Vivian, V-I-V-I-E-N, Thomas. And he was born in New Iberia, Louisiana, on August 29th, 1910, to Willard Maceo and Mary Alice Thomas. His family moved to Nashville, Tennessee, when he was about two years old. And his father taught him carpentry, as, is, as that was his father's trade. And so he learned everything there was to know about carpentry. And Thomas worked with his father and his brothers every day after school and on Saturdays once he got, you know, around the age 12, 13. Mm -hmm. He graduated from Pearl High School in 1929 and immediately obtained a carpentry job at nearby Fisk University, repairing facility damages. Then later worked at a private infirmary as an orderly. Now, from these jobs, he managed to save some money. And he enrolled at Tennessee Agricultural and Industrial College to pursue pre-med. But the Great Depression put a halt to his school plans at the bottom fell out of construction. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to get jobs and couldn't therefore save money. So the next year in 1930, Thomas took a position at Vanderbilt University initially as a surgical assistant to a Dr. Alfred Blaylock. Nine months after beginning that position, Thomas lost all the money he had saved for years to a bank run in Nashville later on in the year. And if you don't know what a bank run is, I'll sum it up for you because I found out what a bank run is. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's why when you go in and it says this bank is a member of the FDIC, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why. why. That's when consumers' faith in a, a bank falls so low that they want to take all their funds out all at once. And the bank is no longer solvent and has to pretty much close up. So if you had any money in there, it's gone because the bank only has but so much money at any given time. 
And if everybody comes to get their money out because they don't trust the bank, they're going to get what's there. It's pretty much like a first come, first serve. Yep. If you come too late, your money is gone. And that's what happened to him, unfortunately. So even though he was classified as a janitor at Vanderbilt, he assisted Dr. Blaylock with a surgery on a dog his first day of work. And Dr. Blaylock did a lot of research on dogs. So, But he assisted him the very first day with that surgery. And he quickly learned and mastered surgical techniques being taught by Dr. Blaylock and another lab assistant. And by the mid-1930s, he was doing the work of a postdoctoral researcher. He and Dr. Blaylock spent many years researching the cause of hemorrhagic and traumatic shock. And this work later evolved into research on crush, crush syndrome, which is a medical condition caused by major shock and kidney failure after a crushing or compression injury to skeletal muscle. Listening friends, I've, I've been a fan of medical drama shows forever. And I always used to hear about crush syndrome. Mm-hmm. Never knew exactly what it was until I researched this. It's a very bizarre condition and very deadly. So, but that was their focus, their research focus for a better part of the years. And Thomas spent 11 years at Vanderbilt with Dr. Blaylock, eventually managing the laboratory while Dr. Blaylock performed surgeries and designing his own surgical equipment since no specialized tools existed for operating on hearts. Because at the time, operating on the heart was considered a no-no. Right. Despite Despite this, Blaylock and Thomas expanded their research into vascular and cardiac surgery. Um, Dr. Blaylock's dependence on Thomas was so great that he even turned down a position at another hospital, which is surgeon-in-chief at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, during the time that they were at Vanderbilt because they would not take Thomas as well. During his um, years at- Before you go on, I just want to sure. say one thing. Mm. So far, everything that he has done is pretty amazing for the time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And. And I'm actually kind of in awe that he was able to to do what he was doing. But at the same time, <laughs> I know that time frame, and I'm just over here thinking, uh, uh, the hammer's going to drop, the hammer's going to drop, the hammer's going to drop. So well, I, I just wanted to say that now. <laughs> yes and no-ish, but we'll find out. So uh, during his years spent working at Vanderbilt, Thomas eventually married Clara Beatrice Flanders on December 22nd, 1933, after less than a year of dating. And they eventually had two daughters, Olga Fay and Theodosia Patricia. In 1941, when Dr. Blaylock was offered the position of chief of surgery at his alma mater, Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland, he requested that Thomas come with him. Thomas moved his family to Baltimore and encountered even more racism than he had in Nashville. And I should point out that it was pretty much an unspoken or didn't need to be mentioned that there was racism regardless of where he was, but it was worse in Baltimore. Despite right. this, <laughs> despite this, Thomas continued working with Blaylock and he would walk the halls of the research facility in a white lab coat. Not surprisingly, Black people were not admitted as students or faculty at the university. So Thomas garnered a great deal of attention, so much so that he began walking from the lab to Blaylock's office in street clothes. In 1943, 
Dr. Blaylock was approached by pediatric cardiologist Helen Tausig, who was looking for a surgical solution to a heart anomaly called Tetralogy of Fowlett, also known as Blue Baby Syndrome. Infants that were born with this heart defect suffer from oxygen deprivation due to the blood circulating past their lungs and often had a blue pallor to their skin. And Dr. Tausick was looking for a way to increase the blood flow to the lungs, but she didn't have a way of doing so. Dr. Blaylock and uh, Thomas had developed a technique back at Vanderbilt to treat hypertension, and they figured this would probably work. So they started experimenting on their lab dogs. I hate to say it, but that's how it was then. And mm-hmm. they experimented to first duplicate the heart defect to see how to fix it. So within two years, Thomas was able to finally recreate the defect and operated on roughly 200 dogs. That's a lot of doggies. There's a lot of dogs. But this is a bright spot. Among those dogs was Anna, who became the first long-term survivor of the operation and the only animal to have her portrait hung on the walls of John Ha. While Thomas was, uh, was able to operate in Blaylock's lab, he was not able to operate on patients, but he did assist Blaylock during procedures. The procedure they came up with to treat the blue baby syndrome was eventually called the Blaylock Thomas Tausig shunt. And it was first tried in November 1944 on an 18-month-old infant named Eileen Saxon. And her condition was so bad that she could only take a few steps before breathing heavily. And her lips and finger fingertips had turned a dark blue. And there was a faint blue tinge to the rest of her skin. Mm-hmm. So using the tools that he had adapted uh, to cardiac work, Thomas assisted Blaylock in this surgery. And his assistance went a little bit further than what you would think, because this was the first time Blaylock had done the surgery. Thomas had done the surgery repeatedly in the lab. So he demanded that Thomas stay with him in the operating theater on a stool right behind him to walk him through the surgery. So the first attempt had limited success as The baby came through, but her life was only prolonged for a few more months. The second attempt was fully successful. And this was on an 11-year-old girl, and she was able to leave the hospital in about three weeks. The third surgery on a six-year-old boy was a remarkable success. He started to regain his natural color by the end of the surgery. Wow. These three cases were the basis of an article published in the May 1945 issue of the Journal of American Medical Association, but only Blaylock and Tausig received credit. Thomas was not mentioned at all. Within a year, though, the operation had been performed on more than 200 patients at Johns Hopkins, and parents would bring their children for miles around to try to get them help. Mm-hmm. So, Great. Thomas's technique as far as his surgical technique was so perfected and precise, how he would do an incision, how he would stitch up this incision. He had other doctors and lab assistants like in awe, and they would ask him to train them on his technique. Despite this, he was severely underpaid for years, no surprise. And he would have to take uh, additional occasional gig jobs, bartending, Often at events attended by these very same surgeons, he was teaching his techniques to. That, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
There was that a tracks. Re- <laughs> that tracks. There was a renowned surgeon by the name of Denton Cooley, and he was quoted in a Washingtonian magazine article in 1989 saying, even if you had never seen surgery before, you could do it because Vivian made it look so simple. There wasn't a false move, not a wasted motion when he operated. Years later, his uh, Vivian's wife stated that he attempted to go back to school at Morgan State University, but was unable to receive a life experience credit, and he would be forced to enter as a freshman and take all the general courses. And at the time, Thomas was about 35, and he would be 50 before finishing med school. And unfortunately, the idea of being that old kind of put him off um, trying to go back to college, which is unfortunate because, whew. Yeah. The interesting thing was, is that at certain times during the years, Dr. Blaylock admitted, you know, some years later, he admitted he had thought about paying for Thomas to go to med school. And he regretted that he didn't do more to try to get help him get into school. And he said, and this is this is this this was kind of interesting to me. He supposedly said if he had gone through med school and became a doctor, probably the best he could have been able to do was as a doctor in some rural, small black town. But doing what he was doing with his work with Dr. Blaylock, he contributed a great deal more, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that's a weird, not weird, it's a sad, a sad statement of fact during that Sad time. commentary. It is. It really was, because clearly this man was talented and no small part to the carpentry skills that he had been taught when he was younger. So his status and how much he was being paid there at Johns Hopkins was a source of tension between him and Dr. Blaylock for a while. And for many years, Thomas was paid the same as a janitor and found out just by chance that an actual janitor at the university was making more money than him. So he would go to Dr. Blaylock repeatedly over the years, asking for more pay, more pay and a title commensurate with what he was doing. Dr. Blaylock kind of hemmed and hawed about that for a long time. His reasons, not sure. There wasn't anything I could find that necessarily said because, you know, we'd had to ask the man himself and apparently he didn't say why. But at some point, Thomas considered going back to Nashville and back to carpentry because he just was not able to keep up with bills on the pay that he was getting. But he also felt some kind of way because Dr. Blaylock would, would not include him in articles and in, in, in noted research in the stuff that they were doing. So much so that Thomas wouldn't be even included in the pictures of the doctors that were involved in the first blue baby surgeries. So at the point that Thomas was ready to go back to Nashville, he pretty much said, hey, I got to go. I can't afford to stay here anymore. Dr. Blaylock literally at the last minute managed to twist some arms and call in favors or whatever he had to do. A couple of days before Christmas, 1946, he came to him. And this is literally on the verge when Thomas was getting ready to go back to Tennessee. Blaylock was able to get the board of trustees to double his salary and have him titled correctly according to his skill, which should have happened a long time ago, but there you go. Um, Thomas stayed at Johns Hopkins even after Dr. Blaylock uh, passed away in 1964. 
and ended up as director of surgical research laboratories. And during that time, he mentored lots of Black medical students who considered him somewhat of a, an icon, I guess you could say. In 1968, some of the surgeons that he had trained in years past commissioned a painting of him and arranged to have it hung next to Dr. Blaylock's in the lobby of the Alfred Blaylock Clinical Services Building on campus. In 1976, Thomas was presented with an honorary doctorate, and it was a doctorate of laws instead of medicine due to certain restrictions, but it did allow his colleagues to finally call him doctor. Right. In 1978, he was appointed to the faculty of the School of Medicine as instructor of surgery, but because he did not have a medical degree, he was never allowed to operate on patients. And he finally retired in 1979, where he began to work on his memoirs. Um, unfortunately, passed away, pancreatic cancer on November 26, 1985. But he did manage to finish his autobiography. And it was published several days after his death. July 2005, the Hopkins School of Medicine began splitting incoming first-year pre-med students into four colleges, each named for famous faculty members, and Thomas, Thomas was one of the four. So that is the illustrious history of Vivian Thomas, it, medical pioneer Yeah, it, for what it is. I guess hmm. coming to the game late is better than not at all, naming the building after him, I guess. At least yeah. going forward, people can learn about him because he has a building named after him. Does that excuse the <laughs> the shitty treatment, you know, at the beginning? No. No. It, it, it does not. But I'm glad that he has that building named after him because that, you know, can get people to find out about him. It's even through all of all of the indignities that he suffered, suffered he could have left at any point. He chose yeah. to stay because he loved what he was doing. He, I mean, he it really truly gave, wanted to help people. He did. He honestly did. And while I was doing the research on this, I thought of our last week's episode on Lonnie Johnson. And I realized there's a correlation between these two men in that they were taught a certain set of skills by their fathers that they then turned and parlayed into something significant yeah. later, down, then later down the road. And I think that says something about not necessarily just black people. I mean, it does, but black people, in addition to those who had limited resources, not to say these are one and the same, but when you have limits to what you can obtain, whether it's education or material things or any number of things, you learn what you can do on your own. Right. And you learn to do it well. And in, in this particular case, Thomas was really good with his carpentry and the woodwork that he would do. And obviously it, it served him very well as far as having the, the manual dexterity to do the kind of surgeries as cleanly and as well as he did. Yeah. Probably so, helps the, uh, the, the attention to detail too, because oh yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've measured 43 times and cut 57. So you know, <laughs> a good carpenter, they're, they're a little more meticulous and, you obviously have to be very meticulous to be working on the inside of people or dogs. True. But, but um, you know, and also uh, thinking about last week with Lonnie Johnson and then this week, it also shows the importance of fathers. But when I say that, I don't just mean 
you know, there's a father around. I'm talking a father that is willing to take time to impart knowledge on their children and not just, there's a difference between I'm a father, I'm here, and I'm a father, I'm present. Same thing with moms, obviously. Mm -hmm. But both of those two gentlemen had fathers that were present and teachers to their children in imparting their knowledge onto their kids. I agree. And I think it goes further than just, just imparting the knowledge just for the love of it. They gave them, them these skills as a means of survival. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Because they knew their options would be limited. So yeah. they wanted to make sure that they were sending their kids out with it, with everything they could possibly teach them so they could have the best shot they could at success. Mm-hmm. And while uh, Mr. Johnson, you know, was born later on, so his opportunities were a little bit more open than Mr. Thomas's were. But it, the, the thought is the same. The sentiment is the same, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree yeah. with you. It, it's definitely the same. And yeah, your point is correct that they wanted their kids to, you know, have the knowledge, but they also knew that they have to have this knowledge to make some sort of living in life. Mm hmm. And there are other people that would look at it as, um, you know, maybe the system is stacked against me. So what's the point? Yeah, it it, it would be easy to take that point of view. You know, why bother? Yeah. But in in these particular cases with these men in the backgrounds that they came from, it wasn't like that. Right. Which is good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is is good. And and like I said, both of them managed to use the skills that they were taught to um, to be involved in in extremely significant things even though you know as we focus on here and we said it before even though they might not be necessarily two figures that get focused on the most often but they're significant yeah yeah and the and the thing of it is is that we were talking last week about who I was gonna talk about this week I had had actually two other people in mind and then I can't remember where I saw his name at but it clicked in my head I was like oh I'm going to cover him. And there is a 2004 HBO biopic on Vivian Thomas called Something the Lord Made that has uh, the rapper Most Def or the the rapper formerly known as Most Def. He's called Gazine Bay now. Um, He plays Vivian Thomas and uh, the late Alan Rickman, rest in peace, plays Dr. Blaylock. Interesting. It's a very good biopic. Really good. And they, I think they did a good job in capturing the, the relationship that they had with each other. And, uh, and of course, those, those sources of attention that they had with each other as far as making sure that Thomas was getting the credit that he deserved within, within the limits imposed on both of them at the time, I guess you could say. Um, there's that biopic. And then there's also a 2003 PBS documentary on the American Experience um, series. And the documentary on him was called Partners of the Heart. So for more information, if you want to watch some visuals, there's those two, the documentary and the biopic. And of course, scads of information on him. Well, I won't say scads. I'll take that back. I only knew where to look because I had heard of him before. But a lot of information was the same from site to site. And some of it was limited. But there's the um, the Washingtonian article that I mentioned is um, available online. 
and it's called The Remarkable Story of Vivian Thomas, the Black Man Who Helped right. Invent Heart Surgery. Right. Very good that, article. That's something I've noticed as we've been over the course of this podcast, because we've highlighted people not just for Black History Month, we've highlighted people throughout the year as well, mm-hmm. is how frequently you can find, you know, 20 different websites that'll talk about them, but, it, you know, 12 of them, it's almost word for word the exact same thing. Yeah. And and I've I've noticed that as we've highlighted, you know, people throughout the, the course of this podcast, that that seems to be the case. So that wasn't mm-hmm. really surprising. Number one. Yeah. And number two, Partners of the Heart sounds like a Hallmark Channel movie. It really does. But it's PBS. I mean, you know. Right. Sometimes sometimes they sometimes the tiles are dry, but you can usually you get a good experience out of PBS documentary. So you know, but she's, the, the, she's a she's a quacky heart surgeon nurse at the heart hospital, and she, he's a she patient goes, that's been on the transplant list for three years. <laughs> they she, meet and follow she, month. <laughs> she goes back to her small hometown in, in rural Nebraska. <laughs> Turns out that he's a heart farmer, or that he's a you know a farmer of rutabaga or something. <laughs> she saves his life, and they fall in love while he's on the list. <laughs> That's right, partners of the heart. Oh man! But the the title of the biopic, something the Lord made, was apparently something that Doctor Blaylock said describing Thomas's work because it was so extraordinary to watch him yeah. do it. And, and I, forgive me, I wanted to go in more detail about what the shunt procedure was, but I have very little, you know, very little medical background, but it was, um, to put it as simply as I can remember, it was just a matter of redirecting certain arteries around the heart to make sure that they right. could, um, push more oxygen into the children's lungs, something right, to right. that effect. If you want to know listening friends, it's all out there. Just type in blue baby syndrome, tell you all about it. But he had, you know, if we just discussed a significant impact on the world of cardiac surgery, him and Dr. Blaylock. And I don't think obviously without Dr. Blaylock, Thomas couldn't have done any of this, but Blaylock couldn't have done any of what he did without Thomas. It's right. kind of, it's kind of matter of fact, really. They, they couldn't have done what they, they did without each other. And right. it makes me wonder for as much clout as Dr. Blaylock apparently had at the hospitals that he worked at. It makes me really wonder why he didn't push harder sooner to make sure Thomas had the recognition that he deserved. It, it, I understand he wasn't anything but a product of the time since we're talking about 40s, 50s, 60s. Right. You could only do so much. And I imagine he had his career in mind that if he went too far, he could be ostracized. I get it. That doesn't mean I accept it, but I get it. Right, right. I but it, it I just was something similar though at work. Uh, finish your point and then I'll, I'll, I'll say what I was going to say. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So I work at the Oklahoma History Museum, right? Oklahoma History Center, the home of the Oklahoma History Museum. We have a big exhibit on a doctor named Dr. Nazi Zudi. Our street, because he donated a ton of money to the museum, so our address is on Dr. Nazi Zudi Drive. Well, Nazi Zudi Drive. And so many people call and they'll want our address. And nobody, people never really want to try to pronounce his name correct. Well, not nobody. About 50% of the time. And then people will say something like, that is just such an odd name. And 
and it has to do because of that name obviously it is not you know an english name and i think that that throws some people off mm -hmm. but here's the thing there's a reason he had the money to donate to get a street the it's weird it's not really a street they did whatever at the post office it was just the entrance in a museum but he invented the heart lung bypass machine you ever had a heart know anyone that's had a heart attack and had heart surgery you know who they have to thank for living? Dr. Nagy. You know what else he did? He was a pioneer on heart transplants and other organ transplants. The, the main hospital here, well, not the main hospital, one of the big hospitals has the Dr. Nazi Zudi transplant center. And it's just always irritating to me when people act like we're crazy because our street name is Nazi Zudi. Is it, you know, not English sounding? No. Because he, he was from, uh, I believe, Lebanon. How many, at this point, let's be honest, millions of people are alive because of this man. Sure. And it's just like, make an effort. <laughs> it's just, make an effort. <laughs> it's just, we know full well, there's packs of folks who can't comprehend that people who aren't of European descent can contribute anything significant to American society. Right. They can't comprehend it. They don't know why that guy would have a boulevard or street named after him. They don't know why Vivian Thomas has his name included on the name of a very important heart procedure. Right. They don't know why. Then they don't want to know. Yeah. Because they just they just think it's an impossible thing. Yeah. It's really not. How about that? But they yeah. a lot of people just can't and won't comprehend it because it doesn't sound it doesn't sound like it makes sense. Right. It doesn't sound like it should be. <laughs> yeah. It, just as you were going through all of that and just sort of his struggles and everything, I know that it's not something that Dr. Zudi, well, I mean, maybe he did. I don't know. But it just sort of reminded me of every time I have to deal with the, you know, well, that's such an odd, what the, well, yeah. well, do you know anyone that's ever had heart surgery? They owe this man their life. So that was just sort of what I was, you know, thinking you know, as you were explaining stuff. Um, funny me. note. Hmm. Funny note. I broke my hand 2006. Had to have surgery. Had the pin in. I'm at work. Dr. Zudi comes into the museum because he used to come in about once a week. And he was like, what happened to your hand? So I told him that I had to have surgery. And he said to me, well, were you happy with your surgeon? Do I need to call him to let him know if you were unhappy? And I said, no, no, I was extremely happy. Everything was fine. He's a great surgeon. So when I went to see my surgeon, when they were pulling the pin out, I was telling him the story of Nazi Zudi. And he goes, yeah, he wasn't joking. It's like he would have called and ripped me a new one if you, you were not happy. <laughs> like, it does not matter that I am a 50-year-old man. He would have tore into me. <laughs> I know that. I'm just like, oh, wow. He wasn't joking. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but yeah, this is another, uh, every time we highlight somebody like this i just always come away with just how amazing people can be yeah and how amazing how much how amazing they are under restricting circumstances imagine had they had imagine had they not had those barriers in front oh i know think of what he <laughs> if he could have gone to well of course in his time frame with the great depression that pretty much that fucked over countless people Yes. But for him, there was countless people were screwed over. And oh, yeah. 
you know, that part. <laughs> right. Um, if he didn't have those barriers, yeah. Who's to say what other things he would have or techniques he could have come up with? Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, Morgan State, the school that he tried to enroll in that, um, you know, wouldn't afford him any life experience credit. Some years later, both of his daughters graduated from that very same university. That's strangely <laughs> poetic. <laughs> it stinks for him, but it's poetic for them. Yeah, it really is. But uh, yeah, I I like reading up on 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 stories like this. Just just like we said, just thinking about how much further he would have been able to go had he yeah. not had he not had people breathing down his neck telling him what he couldn't do. So, I mean, granted, yep. yeah, he didn't go to med school. So obviously, no, no one that hadn't, hadn't gone to med school should be performing surgery. That I get, but that wasn't the only reason. Right, right. So even even if he had, just like Dr. Blaylock was, clo- was quoted as of saying, even if he had been able to go, you know, he would not have been able to go to like a, a big metropolitan area, to a big hospital. Right. He would have been restricted to black neighborhoods and not that there's anything wrong with it, but he would only be able to go, unfortunately, so far. And yeah. then and, and the people in that neighborhood probably would have had the most dedicated quality medical care ever. Oh, yeah. I, I don't doubt that at all. Oh, yeah. I don't doubt that at all. But, you know, that's that's one of those what ifs that we'll never know about. So, yeah. One of, he, one of the things I've enjoyed is the diversity of the people we've highlighted as we've done this. Mm-hmm. All walks of everything. Mm-hmm. And I've appreciated that. Mm-hmm. So, thank you. Yeah, definitely. I know, and I thought about this last month when we were talking about doing this again. And even though I'll always have a special place in, in, in my in my um, heart for those Black Americans that were at the forefront of the civil rights movement. That's not all that they were about. So I wanted to kind of get away from just focusing on them. You know, it goes without saying that the work that they put in was invaluable, no doubt. Right. But like you said, there's there's excellence in all walks of life, in medicine, in art, entertainment, all all facets of life. And I thought, you know, for the pics I had, I thought I I wanted to go outside of the usual right names that we had heard of. Yeah. So yeah. that that was why I wanted to talk about Bonnie mm-hmm. Johnson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you pick. know, here it is, you know, 2023. And, you know, here's a guy that is, I mean, let's be honest, brought millions of children, millions of hours of happiness. <laughs> and, you know, most people don't even know who Lonnie Johnson is that is that has done that for for them. To me, and that's like- that's worth it. <laughs> they might know the name, but they don't know just particulars. Like the man right. literally is a rocket engineer. Like yeah, he did that. Yeah. Yes. Strangely enough, he is the <laughs> the Jim Henson or Mr. Rogers of inventing children's toys. <laughs> but no one knows it. <laughs> Nobody knows. Like this was like, you know, for for the super soaker to have been a side project. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a mind blower. Like if that was a side project, doggone, what was he really focused on? Like, re- <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, and then here we have today a guy that, of course, it wasn't his side project, but True. how many countless people are alive now because of him? Yeah. Untold. We can't, not, we can't, the number will never be known. 
not to mention children, because yeah. that's, you know, that's that's what they were best known for at first was the procedure on children. And then, of course, you know, they expanded. But the fact that he was one of the people that realized that there was a need to have special tools that were fine and precise enough to operate on a heart. And he made them himself. Yeah. It's, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. I love it. Yeah. I love every bit of it. Yeah. That's why I enjoy these. It's, it's cool finding about people that not just, uh, as we say, black history is American history, but not just for the importance of, you know, the black community. It's for the importance of humanity. It is. Worldwide, people are alive because he this technique. Yes. Worldwide. Yes. This, this technique has been performed tens of thousands of times. Oh, countless it's be amount millions. of times. Yeah. It's gotta be millions. And then like I said, the initial procedure was on children, but of course that was something that they're the later doctors that had been trained by Thomas and had worked with Blaylock. The doctors that came after them were able to pick up those mm-hmm. techniques and expand upon them generation after generation after generation. So to bring it full circle, Dr. Nazi Zudi probably would not have been able to have invented the heart lung bypass machine had this technique not existed. Correct. So those two, strangely enough, it hits me after I talk about it, mm-hmm. are probably related. I was waiting for you to get there. <laughs> I'm, you know, sometimes I'm a little I'm a little dense and it takes me a minute, but yeah. That so. would be it that kind of kind of puts into my head to maybe, you know, research his background just to see where he trained. That would be interesting to find the through point of some sort. Yeah. And it may be difficult because, you know, again, these procedures were ended up spread wide and far all over the world within a fairly small number of years. So there's no telling mm-hmm. where your doctor learned his from and where that doctor learned from and so yeah. on and so forth. Da, 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 da. But yeah, it would, it would be, it oh, would be, ahead. yeah, it would be safe to make the correlation. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting aside, Dr. Zudi's grandson, Noah Zudi was a professional boxer and I don't remember which, you know, there's the IBC, WTC, all of those. I don't know which one it was, but he was the, I think it was the featherweight world champion. Hmm. And one time working in the museum, they were having a, he was having, he was defending his title and they were giving away tickets to people if you wanted to go and no one wanted to go. So uh, Heather and I got to go with VIP tickets for free, <laughs> which is kind of cool. And I kid you not. And this is kind of gross. We were so close to the ring that as people were getting punched, their sweat would hit us, which is gross. That's like being at SeaWorld in the right? front row. <laughs> <laughs> right? But the guy that Noah Zudi was boxing against had uh, come all the way from Rhode Island to Oklahoma and just to take an ass whooping because Noah Zudi beat the <laughs> crap out of that fella. <laughs> and I just always found it weird that here, Nazi Zudi was such a powerful surgeon, and his grandson was in a profession that required his head getting punched in all the time. I just always found that sort of, I don't hmm. know, interesting. <laughs> it is. It's an interesting dynamic of opposites. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, I feel like I need to. I need to research him just to find out a little on his background. That would be that would be interesting just for follow up sake. Yeah. I think. But yeah. I felt like Mr. Thomas was a was a good 
was yeah, a good a good gentleman you. to cover today. So I agree with you one hundred percent. And I would I would suggest I know you have a list of things to watch, but add the add the biopic to your list because it's 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 really good. It's really good. Right, right. So yeah. we have Hans Gruber uh, <laughs> doing doctor things. So there you go. <laughs> right, right. And um, before we sign off here. It did occur to me that maybe earlier when I was joking about Jim Jordan, I just want to make it clear that I wasn't like trying to joke about gayness or anything. It was, he's a horrible person. And I just found that all awful. And then I was just taking a shot at him being a horrible person. Oh yeah. I just wanted per- to clarify that. Oh yeah. Pervs are pervs are pervs. That's just it. <laughs> and sometimes us Gen Xers forget that the rest of the world isn't quite as jaded as we are and thinks that everything is open to be made fun of everything you do know that we're jaded too because sometimes they just ignore that we're here that is true that's part of why we're jaded exactly jaded (laughs) and bitter all the flavors in the world and we're going to be salty better believe it (laughs) yeah in between all that though we'll continue on our mission so listening friends thanks for tuning in with us again we are blessed to have you stay safe oh and hey Look up uh, John Robertson. Uh, we have a Buy Me a Coffee account. And yes, if yes. you would like to offer us any type of support, that would be amazing. And of course, if you go to the Buy Me a Coffee and put in John Robertson, I'm sure you can find us and donate to us. That would be incredible. And we'll put the link in the show notes. And if, if, I, if I understand correctly, through Buy Me a Coffee, you can either do a one-time donation or a monthly subscription. So it's up yes. to you. And it's the way the creator gets uh, the fundage is better than with Patreon. Hmm. So, And um, we like the kind that jingles, but we prefer the kind that folds. Listening friends, <laughs> we love you all. We do. Take care. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review Hit that like button and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is valuable and we welcome it. If you would like to contact, connect with, or just want to see what we talk about between episodes, you can find us on Facebook under our podcast name, on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, our website, podpage.com slash Kenyatta-Jack-Save-The-World, or email at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. If you would like to learn about and contribute to our chosen charities, you can do so at Service Dog Project at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a product of Hyper Focus Podcasts.